0: Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matyshak and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak David Pravda, which, by the way, means truth and is not Russian Pravda. How can Europe react to Donald Trump's threats to NATO? There's a realistic scenario that the Populist Republican can win the US presidential elections in November. What would it mean to NATO when Trump suggested that he would encourage Moscow to attack allies they're, as he said this, not paying bills. I talked to Edward Hunter Christie, a senior research fellow at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. Listen to our conversation. <music> If you enjoy what I do, please support on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Let me start with a bit of a warning. Now you are going to listen to 20 seconds of Donald Trump's voice.
1: One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect
0: us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. So how do you assess such a statement? Some people are saying, and I tend to agree, that this conversation never happened because Trump is known for being a serial liar and he is all the time making things up. But no matter whether it happened or not, how do you assess this statement
1: just on the opening i mean it doesn't matter whether the conversation actually happened as he reports it initially because he's now told the story in public and therefore now it is his statement right yes so he has stated it now he has stated his view that he would not protect a european ally who is not paying that is his public position and it's not the first time he said it right i mean this last time in at this thing in South Carolina, I think was the second time he said it publicly in his campaign. But this time, I think that's also what's important, and goes to the significance of this, is that the way he said it was much more cruel, much more callous. It revealed a callousness or a viciousness in his character. And so I think that the reaction now that you're seeing among many European commentators, at least among independent commentators, is that some people, frankly, are quite shocked at his choice of words because he added this part, which he had not said before, of letting Russia do whatever it wants. This is, of course, shocking for Europeans in general, I would say, especially mean, most Europeans who work in as foreign policy and security, of course, we follow the war in Ukraine very closely, okay. it's a very shocking war for us, and so even without being Ukrainians, for us, Russia doing whatever it wants means mountains of dead bodies. Yeah. You could quote
0: me on that. I guess. Yes, yes, I, yeah, yeah I, I very much do agree. I follow Ukraine, of course, also very closely, I have many friends there, and uh, yeah, I totally understand. What you are talking about, and now I'm talking maybe more as a citizen, not as a journalist. But I 100% agree with you. The
1: fact that Trump does not care or does not—he either doesn't simply does not Mm -hmm. feel normal feelings. That's one possibility, or he really doesn't care about us, Mm -hmm. us meaning Europeans, or it's both. Maybe he's just a bit sociopathic. Probably he is, uh, but also what's clear is that is that he doesn't take the protection of Europe to heart. And if he doesn't take the protection of Europe to heart, then it means that if he's president again, then we will be in danger. So I think that his statement there is a completely new development. It's never happened before, because this time it's really much more clear in terms of the emotions. And the emotions are important politically. But the point is we're now in a completely different stage of the relationship between the us and europe unfortunately and i say this as someone who used to work at nato so personally i'm very attached to the alliance with the united states and i like america america's an old friend for many decades a close ally and everything else but this i've never seen and also
0: it's not only trump himself what do you mean by this that it's not only trump himself who do you have in mind there's also a big number of american experts who are generally
1: more right-wing but uh, some of them are really uh, foreign policy and defense, even specialists, but of the right-wing kind who are, who are sympathetic to Trump, to the MAGA movement. The way they talk about Europe now is much less friendly than before. So it's not that they want to do things against us. Of course, I mean, we're never going to be enemies. That's not going to happen. We're, we're still going to be, I think, probably to some degree, allies. But it's clear that there's a strong, not stronger than before, A certain segment of American opinion, or a certain segment, I would not even say opinion, I would say a segment among a newly emerging American elite, which is the MAGA elites, if you like, the elites that are pro-Trump and who are getting prepared to take power if he wins. Those people, that group of people, are not like the Americans that we know. The Americans that that our governments know and that our diplomats know, whether they are Democrats or Republicans over many many decades they have always been friendly to europe and they have always had genuine feelings of attachment to our continent and to our security and some of them absolutely in previous years and decades they absolutely did complain that europeans were not doing enough for their own defense that the role of the us as compared to all the the contributions of the us in terms of money and material were too big compared to what the European states together were doing. And that's been a complaint for many, many, many years, even decades. I know this because I did PhD research on this. Americans started to talk about the problem of European free riding in the 1960s. Okay, so it's a very old problem.
0: Trump is still defended by MAGA people, also by people like Mark Rubio. He just said on CNN, why we are even paying attention to it. We know that Trump is using those words. Only thing he wants, he wants to push European partners, European allies to spend more on defense. And they're also saying that he was successful in his first term to do it. Uh, how do you see this? I've seen those arguments, and I think that those arguments are honestly
1: made, but they are mistaken they are being honestly made by people like marco rubio and certain american conservatives who have decided that they are going to continue to support trump and who they and who wants to come to power together with him and the people who make those arguments are less uh, destructive and less hostile to european interests than trump is but the reality is that what they are actually doing is not completely rational they are rationalizing They are trying to justify to themselves why they should still support Trump. The real reason why they still support Trump for people like Marco Rubio is because he wants to be...
0: The secretary.
1: ...the party that is in power and that has the presidency, and he doesn't want to lose his political career. That's his real motivation. Because Marco Rubio does not... Initially, Marco Rubio a few years ago had a view of foreign policy which was much more like based on Ronald Reagan. It was not similar to Trump logic at all. And he was completely crushed and humiliated by Trump publicly. And then he changed. He adapted for his political survival. And there is another reason, an objective reason, why those justifications are mistaken, and it's the following. And this is, to my mind, the the real danger here. So there is even some more danger with Trump? Trump was already president, of course. And some people now look back on his first presidency and then they say, well, look... He said a lot of shocking things when he was campaigning in 2016 and even while being president. But in the end, if you look at the things America actually did, the behavior of America remained quite reasonable and reliable. And therefore, it's going to be the same the second time. But I believe that's wrong, and I'm not the only one, the very well-informed Americans who are also saying that that's the wrong reasoning. And Chris Christie, for example, says that, right, the former uh, governor of New Jersey. He's turned against Trump, and he's putting out all the arguments. The reality is this. When Trump came to power the first time, Him and his MAGA people, they were a smaller group of people and they were not ready. They didn't have cadres. They didn't have elites ready to take up the big positions to run the big federal departments in in the U.S. government or to run the CIA and all that stuff. And so Trump ended up being surrounded by a lot of people who are not MAGA. People like General Mattis, who was the Secretary of Defense, you know, people like John Bolt, and then nature Mike Pompeo, all of those people who had key jobs at the Department of State, Department of Defense, CIA, those were uh, traditionalist Republicans, and the traditionalist Republicans, they value NATO a lot. They have a very negative opinion of Russia, also a very negative opinion of China, and they do have traditional American foreign policy values where they consider that America is not simply just a great power that does deals with other great powers, but it's a great power that has values, and and there's a certain balance to be struck between interests and values, and and that's the America that we know and have known for 75 years. It's an America that sometimes does things that are very selfish, but it's not a completely selfish power, and it's not... A completely aggressive power like Putin's Russia, it is a power that still tries to respect international law and respects the sovereignty of small states and so on. So all of these things that we as Europeans need are very important, and they ha- normally they are always there. They were there with Ronald Reagan. They were there with Kennedy. They were there with K- even with Clinton, even with Obama. In a soft way, Obama was soft, but he respected the sovereignty of small states, or Biden as well. But with Trump, we have someone who's completely different. And the difference now that's going to happen is that this time, and that's the core argument, they are openly doing this. Steve Bannon, who used to, who was for a brief period, the chief of staff, Donald Trump is openly preparing, and he says it publicly all the time, he's preparing the cohorts of people who are going to come and take all of the top positions in the U.S. system. They're being prepared and they're being filtered so that they are real MAGA people, so that they're really loyal. And they talk about loyalty very openly and it's not just Steve Bannon who's doing that, it's also the Heritage Foundation, which is one of the biggest, most important, most established conservative think tanks in America, which used to be very much Ronald Reagan kind of thinking. It's now being taken over by a guy called Kevin Roberts. Kevin Roberts is on the record. He was interviewed in the New York Times talking openly about preparing a new cohort of people who will be loyal to Trump. He talks openly about the fact that Trump, the first time around in 2017, he was not ready. So he ended up with people who are not loyal to his vision. If Trump wins this year, in 2025, we will have a completely different kind of cabinet. So it won't just be the president. It will also be the cabinet, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of State, head of CIA. All those people are going to be MAGA people. And that is going to make an enormous difference because the first time, as I said, Trump didn't have... Trump was restrained and filtered and and sometimes even, uh, I wouldn't say blocked, but but kind of slowed down. People around him were traditionalists. And um, one key argument, and this is also very open, you can look up the
0: works of John Bolton. John Bolton was, I think, the third because... Yeah, Trump had quite a few national security advisors. In his first term, but John Bolton wrote a whole book about what happened, called "The Room Where It Happened." He's had given lots of interviews
1: as well. He says very clearly, unmistakably, Trump wants to leave NATO. He absolutely wants it. It's not a bluff. And when Bolton was working with him, he absolutely knew it, and that's why he put it in his book, and that's why Bolton is against Trump. Bolton is one of the most tradition, one of the most right-wing, traditional kind of Republicans. He's very hawkish. That's the people who don't like him because he was too aggressive on the Middle East. You know, that can be discussed. But the point is, he's the real deal of the traditional, tough, conservative American who believes in a strong foreign policy. And he has enormous credentials. He's, uh, he's, he's also very expert. He has very strong views, but he's an expert. And he knows what he's talking about. And he absolutely assures everyone And he was in the room. Trump absolutely wants to pull America out of NATO. He actually wants to break NATO. And this is why... The Congress itself, and that's where Marco Rubio is being very disingenuous now yes. when, he, when he says don't, yeah. don't take Trump, literally. Marco Rubio himself, as far as I understand, I didn't check who voted for what, but as you might know, the Congress, I think it was the Senate, passed a law yes. making it impossible for the president to withdraw from NATO without a two-thirds majority
0: in the Senate, right? So there's a special law. This is new. Yeah, they are not going to admit it, but I think it's very clear they did it because of Trump. They did this
1: because they fear that Trump would do exactly that because he said it. So you cannot, on the one hand, pretend that Trump was going to be fine for NATO while at the same time using the Congress in advance in order to make it impossible for Trump to basically destroy NATO. If you're doing that, it means you believe that he wants to or that there's at least a high probability that he would. And uh, I think we need to be logical. There's a high probability that he would. And that's only the NATO side. Now there's also the Ukraine side, and it's happening at the same time. Trump, we know this, Trump is pulling the strings behind the scenes, pushing on the MAGA wing of the Republican Party, those House members and Senate members who are closest to him, obey him the most. He's been pushing them really hard to cut the aid to Ukraine. And this went through phases, Initially, uh, they tried to mix it up with the southern border issue, you know, this immigration issue for America, and uh, they managed to fool those that way. But now what's coming out in the last one or two days is that you really have MAGA lawmakers like, for example, J.D. Vance who's a senator who's completely pro-Trump. People like that are now openly saying it's about cutting off Ukraine. They're not even hiding it anymore. And that proves it was always the plan. That in the beginning, this campaign they had inside the U.S. to say, "Oh, we need to take care of our border before we take care of the border of somebody else." You know that kind of rhetoric, which was obviously dishonest. When you saw it, it was a propaganda trick. It was to brainwash the population. It was a trick, and we can prove it's a trick because now we see them talking much more openly, and we can see that you know, major supporters like Elon Musk and people like that, and, and Tucker Carlson, openly saying openly zooming in on Ukraine specifically, it's clearly no longer just a question of, oh, we will do the southern border and then we'll do Ukraine, we'll do everything super fast, don't worry everyone, don't worry Europe, don't worry Ukraine, we're gonna solve everything. No, it's not like that at all. They are doing everything they can to delay or stop US military assistance to Ukraine and they know perfectly well that Ukraine is in the middle of a very heavy war, very heavy fighting and so they know perfectly well that that means forcing Ukraine to surrender to Russia. That's what they actually want, and that's what Trump wants personally. And his son, Donald Jr., said this publicly. He said publicly, the way to stop the war is to cut the money. Of course, he didn't explain, honestly, the whole reasoning, but we're not idiots. We understand that if you're Ukraine, you're fighting Russia, Russia's three times bigger. You're alive because you get outside assistance. If the outside assistance stops or is cut in half, you're probably going to lose mathematics of it are very simple and everybody understands this so if that's what's going on then clearly it means it's basically they basically want to shut down this war giving mr putin a victory on the territory that he has captured and that of course for any european is a disaster because it means that for sure russia took quite a lot of losses and so on but it basically means russia wins it's not a complete victory but it means russia wins if russia still has well, you know, all this territory running from Donbass to Crimea, the so-called land bridge that they have wanted for many years. I mean, that's basically a victory in the war for Russia. It's not a complete victory, but it's a partial victory, and it's certainly a partial defeat for Ukraine. There's no question. And it's more territory being illegally taken away from Ukraine. It's a huge violation of the UN Charter. It's a huge violation of European security. And we have the additional problem that it makes Russia much more dangerous for us because Russia is rearming very fast now. And all of our intelligence services are warning about this now. And I think the Norwegian one actually said it in public. I mean, I was saying the same as well as a general reasoning without detailed analysis. But the problem is Russian war economy is running up very fast. And we in Europe are not running fast enough. And so it means there's a danger that Russia could really overtake, not on every weapon system, but certainly on artillery and some basic military capabilities. Russia could end up being stronger than all of you. And with, of course, a very large army, very large army that is experienced in combat, whereas our armies are not experienced in combat, but the only experienced people we have are the Ukrainians. And so you can see the enormous danger coming to us. It could be that Russia certainly will be in a position to really, really frighten all of us and threaten all of us very uh, significantly, maybe already next year in 2025, and it'll be even worse in 2026, because again the Russian defense and street is accelerating faster than ours if in the middle of this you remove the American assistance you're basically completely ruining all of our plans in Europe to how to defend our whole strategy which is based on the assumption that NATO is there and is reliable and it's also based on the assumption that there are American supplies and American troops not doing everything but doing I don't know half of the job or something and this is a huge in reality this is basically, I would say, a conspiracy by Trump to stab Europe in the back and to stab Ukraine in the
0: back. So what can we do? We don't know if Trump is going to win, but we just heard him, what he said, and you said this is very significant, this is even different than from from what he said previously. You mentioned Bolton. Last year, I interviewed former Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who in his book is the same blame that Trump would withdraw from NATO, even he would withdraw from South Korea. So we all know that. Of course, we don't know if this is going to happen, but we know that the, the, I think the red signs are flashing quite significantly. So I know this is for another big conversation, but maybe a maybe few words about what can Europe do, taking into account that Trump could be back, might be back with MAGA people think on the policy side, which is not the same as the politics, I
1: think that we have a few months now between now and the NATO summit in Washington. So there'll be the NATO summit in Washington, 75th anniversary. Now, as you probably know, almost all European countries finalize their budgets at the end of the year for the year that comes after, right? I mean, this is just normal. And so that means that the defense budgets of most European countries are already decided. They were voted in December, typically December in most countries, including Slovakia. However, every country has a mechanism to amend the budget you can do that during the year and you can change the budget you go back to parliament or if you don't want to go back to parliament you can maybe even use some executive powers and if you want you can put emergency funding for defense or you can go back to parliament and say we need an extra 10 20 percent extra for defense i think that it would be very smart for as many european countries as possible including slovakia to do that and i don't know the figures for slovakia planned budget for this year i haven't looked it up i don't know if it will be above two percent or not
0: yeah we want to we want to keep it on two percent because we are now basically on two percent and we want to keep it that way so probably slovakia doesn't need to do
1: very much you could make a small increase just to show a slightly nicer number but probably you don't but no i mean wow okay that's it doesn't matter. i think i think the more the more countries do it the better so i would not just fix it on two percent because anyway the discussion is shifting we have more and more critical americans who are beginning to say Oh, but even two percent is just a minimum. So so because that's the problem with the criticism coming from those people. I think that when it comes from Trump, like I think he really wants to betray the whole thing, but I think that a lot of the people around him, they actually believe in the argument itself. Whereas I think Trump is only using the argument as a weapon. But I think that it could restrain Trump somewhat if he could be proven to be wrong. It's at least worth trying. And the other aspect is that if you assume that the U.S. is going to be unreliable, for sure we need to do more ourselves as Europeans. Therefore, it's a win-win under every scenario for as many European countries as possible to use emergency powers or to use a parliamentary route to make amendments to the national budget right now in February, March, April, before we go to Washington for the summit to increase defense spending. And I would say even if you're at 2%, then go to 25 and make a commitment that you're going to stay higher. And, you know, there's, there's always intelligent ways to spend the money. The money can be put in a defense fund. If it's not possible to spend all the money, uh, emergency money in the first year, you can push it to the next year. There's plenty of equipment that can be bought. There's also plenty of needs for Ukraine anyway. So some of it could also go to Ukraine assistance. But the point is, uh, a group of European countries, the majority, could potentially flash Trump, so to speak and let him show off about it if necessary, that's not a problem, and to basically said, yes, we heard you, look at these huge increases in budget, all these new billions, it's all thanks to you, because that's what he did last time, and that's what he's claiming, and I think that by talking up and highlighting the examples of, you know, Poland is spending 4%, Baltics are moving to 3%, or close to 3%, I think Romania is at 25 if you could have also slovakia 2.5 maybe the czechs also could move a bit more and maybe one or two in western europe could also make a bit of an effort that would be nice then we could begin to show that actually we've just been going up in a straight line and it's not true that we've been sitting on our hands so i think that would be one thing and that's a win-win like i said because if we spend more we will be more ready and it will be also assigned to Russia to say, look, we Europeans alone, even small states, we take our defense seriously and, and we will fight and we're ready to spend a lot of money to defend ourselves. So I think this would be positive for everyone. This is a good idea to, to make a, a good positive flash expression at the NATO summit in Washington. I think that would help and also make good communication. And then the other thing I would also recommend is I think Central European governments need to travel to America new kind of roadshow trips and to talk to to go to places where there are many maga vouchers and to explain to them look this ukraine war is not a joke it's right next to us we are neighbors huge numbers of refugees terrible suffering this is really important for us we're doing everything we can we're spending more we're sending weapons we're taking in refugees we're really carrying a burden But, you know, we're allies and we also need your help and you have a lot of resources. And, you know, to all make the whole argument over again, I've done it several times myself, but I think we're at the stage where Central European governments and institutions would benefit from doing Literally on the campaign trail, and to go to swing states in America, or to go to states where the big Jasper is from Central Europe, and really, because it's not enough to do this just online. Because online, online we're losing. There's too much Russian money. There's Elon Musk. There's all this stuff. So it cannot be just online. Has to be in person. And I think
0: that's for the campaigning effect, it would be helpful. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. And on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned!